Okay. Okay. Let's start us with announcements. Hi, hi everybody. My name is Luke Mortensen, one of the planners. I'll be helping facilitate the Zoom meeting this afternoon. Um, like normal, I'll work alongside Chair Finkeldye to facilitate this meeting. As always, a few housekeeping items. Um, this meeting is being recorded on Zoom. It will be broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. Um, please remember to mute yourself if you're joining us on Zoom um, during the meeting when you're not speaking. Um, the chat function is disabled, so the chats will come to me. If you have any issues, we'll try to get you um, fixed as we go along here. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. That's very helpful to everybody here in the room. This allows the active meeting participant to be seen on the screen. You'll still be able to hear the meeting. And then when you're participating, please go ahead and turn your video back on. Um, like I said earlier, if you have any issues, just chat and it will come to me. The city reserves the right to mute or turn off individual videos or microphones to minimize distractions during the meeting. That's it um, for now. Turn it back over to Chair Finkelbach. Thank you very much. Thanks for everyone being here and here in online with a few people online. And this is our been a month off, but we'll be coming every month from there on out so we can get this thing finished and get it um, on its way. We're anxiously awaiting the next module, but Elizabeth is going to lead us through a couple questions she has now and where we're at and where we're going. But you're muted, so. Did we need to do Kansas Open Meetings or are we good? No, we're good. No, we're good. We're we're good. good. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we have a short presentation this evening. And then we have um, a survey, a live survey. And so let's get going. Um, jumping into module three. I think, Luke, you're going to pull it up. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's go. Perfect. So let's go to the next slide. Okay. So we, in theory, have a lot to cover, but we want to make sure that we spend most of our time on the survey and talking about uh, what we're doing with module three. We're going to leave some of our um, upcoming meetings open for um, more content discussion. Just to orient everybody about where we are, Luke, if you'll go to the next slide. We are coming around the corner on the last draft module. And um, I think the good news for steering committee is that the review lift on this module won't be as substantial as it has been for the last few modules. We're only going to have you look at new or substantially revised procedures because um, the current code has a lot of this information. And the way we work with procedures is it's more helpful just to talk about how it works in real life than to look at the words on paper. Um, that is fairly dry. So we will... Um, get module three wrapped fairly quickly, um, and then we'll move into the full draft adoption. In the background, we've been looking at all the comments that have come through on modules one and two. 
Um, we've been summarizing some of the other public information that we've received, um, getting ready to go into a conversation with staff and steering committee about potential changes we might wanna make based on the feedback that we're getting. So let's go to the next slide. So module three at a high level is administration and procedures. We tend to break these out into about five categories, um, sometimes four, sometimes five. And so for our purposes tonight, and if you're not familiar um, with how zoning and subdivision procedure work, please ask questions. So we have those things that can be approved administratively. So this is staff approval. This is typically um, the fastest way to get through the approval process. We've put the standards in the code. Staff reads the application against the standards and makes a decision. So this can include approvals like site planning, can include use approvals that we might move out of conditional or special uses, um, can be minor amendments and can be permits like sign permits or something else along those lines. Then we have kind of the higher up, it's got more procedure to it, legislative and quasi-judicial decision-making. So these approvals typically require a public hearing or two public hearings, can be one at uh, planning commission, can be one at city commission. So this would be rezoning, so changing the zoning map, changing the zoning on a property. Amendments to the text of the land development code um, could be preliminary and final plats, could be, um, amendments to major approvals and it could be conditional or special uses. So this is where we're having that um, more in-person level of public input and decision-making. We have a category of approvals that are intended to allow flexibility and adjustments to the regulations. So this is the standard variance process, could also be an administrative adjustment. So that's a smaller adjustment made at an administrative level. And it could be the proportionate adjustment that we've talked about where um, the code is adjusted to apply to a redevelopment project. We have a few code administration procedures. So this is a code housekeeping almost. Um, so interpretation of provisions of the regulations, that's code administration, um, and then if the city needs to revoke an approval, um, that might be a code administration process. And then finally, we have comp plan um, amendment, comp plan adoption and comp plan amendment. So, so that's where um, all of our approvals fall by category. Um, we tend to break it up by, is there a hearing? Isn't there a hearing? That matters to applicants and it helps us all kind of gauge where we're gonna go with it. Are there, are there questions at this high level? Hey, Luke, you want to back me up one? Thank you. No, that's good. All right. No. Mm -hmm. Other yeah. way. Okay. There we go. Any questions? We'll follow on you. Okay, great. Now let's go forward. So we looked through the code when we did the code assessment. Uh, back at the beginning of the project um, to see what procedures were in there. So you see two groups of procedures here. Um, we have some subdivision procedures sitting out on the left side and some zoning procedures um, sitting on the right side. 
this is what we found in our first go through the code. There may be other things in there. We tend to read the whole thing over one more time to make sure there aren't small procedures hiding in there and to see where we can find some issues. So let's go to next slide. Next slide. Okay, so what did we find when we looked through this earlier in the process? One of the things that the um, land development code would benefit from is among the procedures is more consistent organization. So um, the way the code is written now, it doesn't um, tell you very clearly what commonly applicable procedures you might be going through. So no matter if you're doing a rezoning or a variance, what are the things that are going to happen before you get your decision? So we're going to uh, organize either the existing information or we're going to propose language that describes the procedure um, for the things identified in the bullet points on the left. So any pre-development meeting or meetings, what application submittal and acceptance look like, how the staff review process goes and what actions are taken during that process, how public hearing scheduling and notice work, uh, planning or city commission review and action on an application, how, um, how decision-making and review takes place generally, and then what post-decision actions such as um, expiration or extension of an approval and limitations apply. So these will be a group of procedures that generally work with just about every sort of application. In addition, we've recommended reorganizing the specific procedures, so the rezoning or the variance, um, to follow the same steps each time and to provide um, information about that procedure in the same format. Um, so it's constructed in a parallel manner and you can see the differences among the procedures more clearly. So for each procedure, when we have the draft ready, you'll see that it'll state the purpose and the applicability, the process, and that'll be shortened up because we have the commonly applicable procedures already taken care of, the review criteria, pretty important for applicants and decision makers, whether or not there can be appeals where they go to, and whether or not there's an expiration or a time limit on the approval. So we go step-by-step step through each one to make sure that we've identified all of these um, important pieces of information about it. Let's go to next slide. We also try to put summaries in the administration section. It is easily the most dry, wordy section of the code. Um, looking for opportunities to make it easier to parse, to find the information you're looking for. So you can see the table on the top, which is from another community, so it's not Lawrence, um, but it shows if you're doing um, a development plan in this community, where do you find the information? What section in the code is it? Does it require any notice? Who is going to review it? Who's going to decide on it? And what is the form of final decision? So it's that kind of quick checklist to tell you where you're going within the code to find the information that you need. Similarly, in the notice section on the bottom piece, also from another community, um, you can see that um, they've pulled out the different types of notice required. So published notice, posted notice, mailed notice, um, and when it has to be taken care of. There's more information in that section, but this kind of gives you an overview of it. Let's go to the next slide. 
So within the current regulations, we think there are some opportunities for streamlining. So streamlining is not always just saying, um, you know, this process is going to move faster. It is also sometimes this process, process is going to be easier. And um, one of the places where we think we can make the procedures easier um, are through the work that we've already done. Um, so making standards clear, including all the standards in the code so that an applicant knows what they need to comply with when they put their plans together. The other thing that we think we've done, and we'll talk about it as we get the procedures going, is pulling out the hidden standards so you don't get two steps down in the process and are then asked to back up and redraft and comply with something. We want to make sure that as you go through the process the first time through, you can find all of the standards that apply to your project. We also want to look at the general procedures that are incomplete and make sure there are clear steps about instructions and what can happen if an issue arises. So if you need to table your application or continue your application, or if something happens and you need to make changes that are going to take you six months to make, how is that going to work within the process? And then finally, um, lining up levels that are mismatched right now between the code and the outside standards, like the building code and the engineering specifications, making sure that we don't have overlap that causes confusion, uh, but being more seamless with these are the regulations that live in the code, the land development code, and they work with the building code or the engineering specs. So these are places where we think we can make the process um, easier and easier tends to move a little faster. Elizabeth, do you have yeah. any examples of these that you've come across so far? Uh, no, we're still in the drafting process. We we know they're out there. We've talked about them. But I mean, are you asking about examples in the regulations or from real life? From real life, City of Lawrence, existing code. No, we have... Um, we don't have, we haven't been comparing these to actual applications. So we're doing it at a best practices level. Um, when we get to the end, if we have projects we want to run through and see if we have in fact picked up the information and reorganized it in a way that makes it easier to find, we can do that. Hey, this is Gary. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love to see us um, try to come up with an understanding of how this work actually translates into improvements um, for applicants and for staff. Yep. Um, I think I understand what you said about your approach, um, but I'd love for us to, to know whether at the end of this, if we actually have made an improvement and find even some way to, to quantify that. And if we haven't made an improvement, we probably ought to talk about that too. Right. And so that's that is a big part of the survey that we're going to share with everybody because we're trying to dig down into where those problems live. So let's do we only have a few more slides here. Let's do that. And then we'll go through the survey and then I flagged this discussion. So I'll back us up to it and see if they're if we're solving the right problems. Sound OK? Yep. OK, next slide. The other thing that we want to focus on in this section is modernizing community involvement. 
So this is one of our equity issues. This is one of the initial issues that staff asked us about as we got going. How do we make sure that we're reaching out to the community? How are we reflecting community voices in these processes, whether at the beginning of the process when we set the standards or at the end of the process when an individual application is being approved? Um, so we will talk about what are we doing and how are we setting up the level of approval and um, allowing people to weigh in on the process. Next slide. So then we have updates to specific procedures. So we wanna clarify the applicability of processes. We know that sometimes there is some confusion about which process works for which question in the code. So we wanna make sure that we have a straight line between something that needs to happen according to the code and the way that it happens. We uh, wanna make sure that the processes cover the range of development sizes and that we don't have gaps. So make sure there are no gaps between like the minor and the standard site plans. We wanna make sure that we fill in any missing procedural pieces. And as we do that, um, we tend to have conversations around clarifying, are we specifying what the city is actually doing or what the city wants to be doing? Um, so this is an opportunity to talk about things that can be improved. We want to talk about the um, balance between the level of detail that an applicant has to go to in an application to um, be sent through the city process with the cost of preparation. So are we asking for the right detail in the right place in the process? And um, that's a, that's a question that we will address in the survey somewhat. And as we come back through with the full draft of the um, procedural standards, we'll talk about what happens um, you know, with preliminary plat, what happens with final plat, are we, are we always um, balancing the information that we're asking for with what we're asking of the applicant? And then finally, for some things, we wanna make sure that we're right sizing or right setting the approval authority. So are there things we can move back to administrative approval so we can take them out of a hearing process? Are there things that planning commission should be considering um, and deciding on so it doesn't have to go through a two-step hearing process? Are there things that absolutely go to city commission because of their impact on the community? So these are all the changes that we're considering as we finish up drafting um, the procedures. Let's go to the next slide. So. So back to, to to kind of take us to where um, we've what we've heard uh, definitely from the development community. What we hear in just pretty much every code we write, we have a very 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 common question that we get: Why does it take the city so long to process development applications? I'm not pointing a finger at Lawrence. I've gotten this question in a community that takes two weeks to process development applications. Why does it take so long? I've gotten it in communities that take six months to a year. So there is a question about um, expectations and processes and decision-making, and we wanna get into that a little more deeply. And so we've put together a survey and um, we wanna ask you guys as a group to do the survey with us. The way it's set up 
is the first set of questions are geared more towards developers and property owners um, and development professionals. The second set of questions are geared more towards city staff. And the third group of questions are geared towards everybody. Not everything we're asking questions about is resolvable within the confines of the land development code, but it is all informational to us as a group as we have this discussion and try to figure out where we set approvals, what expectations we set around approvals, what's going on in the current process that we might want to change in the code, or what's going on in the current process that city staff might want to change um, internally or through their policies um, for reviewing applications. So I'm going to ask Luke to pull this PowerPoint down. Gabby's going to switch us into a Mentimeter PowerPoint. And this is what we um, asked everyone to bring their cell phone or their laptop or however they want to participate, because this is online and we're going to get results um, as we do the questions. So I know not everyone in the room is a developer and not everyone in the room is staff. For our purposes, go ahead and read the question and put an answer in there. One of the things that we'd like feedback from you guys about is just the ease of understanding questions um, to the extent that you have experience with them. And uh, whether or not we wanna dive in deeper on anything or whether or not we wanna pull questions because it's something we're not going to be able to address well in the land development code process. So you're going to this website, www.menti.com. And you're going to enter the code on the screen, 4286530. You can see people signing in. You can also use the QR code if you can scan it. We'll give everyone another minute or two. I think we've got about 11 people signed in. But Gabby and I are not answering. Anybody having problems getting in? Okay. The room's gotten really small for me. So Becky or Luke, are we all looking okay on that end? So if it just comes up to instructions. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm getting too. Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, all right. Wait. Uh, wait for the first question. Yeah. Gabby, let's okay. jump in. Then we're good. Just says instructions. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So, so everyone should move to a page that has the question on it. Is that yes. correct? Okay. Yes. So you can pick an answer and it'll start showing us in what capacity do you participate in the development review process? Architect, planner, engineer, surveyor, developer, builder, finance, other. Okay, any problems understanding the question? We pretty good here? Good. All right, next slide. What type of development do you or your organization primarily focus on? Residential single family, residential multifamily, mixed use, commercial, industrial, institutional, other.
All right, next slide. How often do you submit development or subdivision applications to the city? Weekly, twice a month, monthly, every other month, a few times a year, never. We might actually wanna add an answer here for once. We might get some people who have done an ADU application or no more than once or just once or twice. Okay, next slide. Are the application forms and submission requirements clear? Yes, no, some but not others, other. So for those of us who've never done it, we say other? Say other, yeah. All right. Next slide. What is or what would be your preferred way to find answers to your questions about the land use regulations? Online FAQs or support materials on the city's website, call or email the planning department, in-person visit to development services, other. I suppose we could put chatbot in there, but we probably don't want to make Jeff's head explode today. <laughs> All right, next slide. In your experience, which of the following is true of application information, include study, including studies and plans? Some information is required too early in the process, all application information is required at about the right time in the process. Some application information is required too late in the process and some application seems irrelevant. I think this one should be set up to let you answer as many. Or none perhaps. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Elizabeth, is there a way to where people can do free response to some of these questions? Like, they, we... yeah, they will be able to. This is only you guys as a group are doing it in this format. Everybody else will do it as an online survey and they'll have a comment box. So, thanks for reminding me to say something about that. They can add thoughts and comments on any question. Okay, next slide. Is it clear how long an application review should take? Usually, sometimes, or never? All right, next slide. If there are delays, what reasons are provided? Insufficient information, 
waiting on state or other agency review. I think we need to change that. Board review, still with a different department, no information provided. So I'll be honest, I'm not fully sure what the goal is of going through this currently, if it's just to test if it works or to actually get our opinions on these or to kind of preview it for the general public. But as somebody who's pretty familiar with the development code, but not a developer, I don't have a good answer for a lot of these. I mean, I've, I have had applications in the city for things, not necessarily developments. So I'm just kind of winging it on some of these, honestly, and I can't imagine I'm the only one doing so. Um, winging it's fine Nick oh, thank you it's totally, it's totally fine yep I, I just worry that we're giving you kind of eh, like like fake information almost right because realistically for a lot of us it's NA right so I don't know if this is information that you're taking me like oh man they really aren't given enough back from the planning department or something when that may not actually be the case we just don't have a better way to answer it right now yeah no not at all um actually yeah. we're this is we're test driving it we're making sure these questions are um are fully explained i realize that you guys haven't seen parts of this which is totally fine um and we're going to wipe out your answers i i adore you guys but they're not going to count for anything we're going to bring you back the answers that we get from outside of this meeting <laughs> so so far so far fine um it, some of it also is to allow you some familiarity with it because when you see it again with answers you we will have gone through some of these questions and some of them you may be really curious about so that might be what you flip to first okay let's do another one next one so is communication about comments or corrections so this is from staff to an applicant provided in a timely manner usually sometimes Never. So I think as I'm reading this one, if I were a developer, I might wonder what timely means or what how timely is defined. Okay, next slide. So this is, we're following kind of a theme here. Is communication about comments or corrections clearly described with references to the land development code? We've got a typo in there. All right, next slide. What's a reasonable time frame for you to complete needed changes to applications? This is developers been told they have insufficient app inf information and they're being asked, how long will it take you uh, to turn it around and bring it back? 
two weeks, 30 days, 45 days, 60 days. All right, let's go next slide. Is the interpretation of individual LDC, land development code application requirements similar across different staff members? So do we have consistent application of the code? Uh, Gabby, do we do next slide on this? I think we have something going wrong here. Okay, let's yeah, figure mine out what's shows a, that you just have an answer box on this one. Yeah. All right, let's skip this one. We'll get it cleaned up. Okay, and this one is going to be comments only. If not, can you identify any requirements that are subject to different interpretations? So in the survey, um, we'll ask people can um, list bits of code or topics um, where they've seen it interpreted different ways at different times. Let's go to the next one. What do you do when the land development code standards don't work for your proposed development? Do you redesign? Do you talk to staff? Do you ask for a variance? Or do you talk to a city commission member? So this is getting to flexibility, trying to understand if we have flexibility where it's taking place. You haven't all of the above. <laughs> yeah, we can we can set this one up so you can answer as many as as many as apply. Okay. Does the review process include enough flexibility to help projects that are encouraged by the comprehensive plan and allowed in the zoning district? So this this ties back to the last one. If it if it doesn't work with the code, can you still get there? Um, and if not, you know, for us, where are we going with that? So this one is going to be a write-in response. So let's go to the next one, Gabby. What categories of development could benefit from more flexibility in the application of the code? Single family, multifamily, mixed use, retail, office, restaurant, industrial, other. All right, let's go to the next one. Have you ever requested a code interpretation? Okay, next one. 
Please describe. Next one. So this is, now we're switching into questions for staff, internal questions. So first question is, is there a policy or procedure for where when various teams, so that could be across departments, it could be um, different planners, should be communicating? So X thing comes up and we know that we need to gather up these people and talk about it. So yes, there's a policy or procedure. There's partial policy or procedure. No, no policy or procedure. All right, let's go to the next slide. Are there sufficient resources for staff to answer applicant questions? Yes, sometimes no. So, so now that we've switched into staff questions, just to let everyone know, so, you know, part of what we'll be doing at our next meeting is reading these side by side, right? So we want to understand the applicant point of view and the staff point of view and figure out, you know, where it is that we might be jammed up, what we can fix and where we're going with it. Let's do the next slide. Is there guidance for addressing escalations? So when an application needs to be moved up the ladder, when it needs to hit the city manager's office, when it needs to go out to a different department, when something is going on that it has to come off of a planner's desk and go someplace else, do we know how we do that? Are you asking, I guess I don't think that question is very clear. Are you saying when you initiate an escalation or when someone escalates it? I think it's, it's uh, that's a good point. So when um, when either the content of the application require it or when the applicant pushes for it to go someplace else. So I think um, I think we can clarify this one. Do you read anything else in there? Well, I, I think you need to use a different word than escalation. I'm not okay. so sure that's crystal clear. Okay. Disagreements of interpretation. Is that what we're getting if, if that's what we're getting yeah. <laughs> Okay. We'll, ch we'll change that word out. Is there, inf is there written information about past interpretations? Can staff get a hold of what the city's done in the past um, to give consistent answers. These can be formal or informal interpretations. So probably want to clarify that. For staff, how many rounds of review so that is an application comes in, gets reviewed, is given back, are typically needed to move an application to the next step in the process. In 200 characters. <laughs> so, like one that would benefit from multiple choice. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think we need to come back to multiple choice and leave room for comment. That seems like a good question to ask the developers. And let's see if the 
answers are different. Okay. All right. Staff, is the information submitted with development, ap development application sufficient? Always often, sometimes rarely never, depends on the applicant. Find sufficient. Sufficient um, to determine that it's a complete application and it's ready to go into the process. And I'll define it on yeah. there too. Yeah. Okay. Would a would a tangential question for developers be is the information needed for an application clear? Yep. All right, thank you. Next question. What, at what round of review, when is the information submitted with the applications usually found to be sufficient by staff? Initial application, first review, second review. Do we need to number third and fourth review or is other gonna be fine? <laughs> Again, I think that would be a good one to ask. The developers too. Yep. Okay. How are applicants notified about the need for corrections? Call, email, letter, permit tracking system, other? Another clarification I'm, yep. I'm thinking about is yep. these are for our existing system only. It's not pipe dreams or ideal situation or what we would like them to be. Well, for some of these, I think we want to move forward from what is to what the city wants to be. So we're trying to figure out current status. like. Gabby, can you just stop here for a second? On the slide about like how many reviews does it take? We work with communities that say, you know, it has to be done in two reviews. It has to be done in three reviews. And so while that is outside of the code, how the code works impacts that and how the city chooses to look at it impacts that. So we're trying to gather up a baseline to have some of those discussions. That answer your question? Well, it does. My, I guess my point is, if if it's about historical existing code, we need to make sure they understand that. If it's about how we would like it to be, then you need to we need to make sure that that's what the question is. Yeah, I think I'm a little hesitant about surveying people about what they would like it to be. Um, yeah. Okay. Because, then just yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of our job to go from where it is to where we'd like it to be. I, I, I worry about that question just in terms of the range of answers we'd get and the expectation we'd be setting with people who participate in the survey that we could accomplish, you know, having application approvals waiting for you when you walk in the door because you thought about it last week. Um, so 
that I, I think we start with where we are and then as a group, we figure out the biggest fixes. So, so the answer to my first question, if if these questions are about historical existing codes, your, yep. your answer was yes. Yep. Okay. That's correct. Okay, Gabby, let's move on. So do they, the applicants, usually have sufficient information to make appropriate corrections? Always, often, sometimes, rarely, never, and it depends on the applicant. I'm thinking we could rephrase this one a little bit or maybe make a second question out of it. So what we're trying to get at is, 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 is what the city is looking for represented by staff's corrections is it is it something that probably someone already put together or is it going to send an applicant out to do a new study a new survey a new something something so i think we might devise a follow up question for this and this probably goes without saying but jeff and becky and luke i know you sit here quietly but since these are questions usually do, since these are questions that are directed to you. If you don't understand the question, speak up now. Well, I'm glad, Elizabeth, did. this one was a little confusing to me. Is it, is it, is our review, com are, are our review comments clear enough that, that appropriate corrections can be made? Is that what you're getting at? No, I'm, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, it's it, the, the way this question's phrased, it is for the applicant, not the city staff. I think you could, if it's for the city staff, you need to phrase it differently. Yeah, so this is in the city staff section and they're broken out. So I do think I need to rephrase this one. I mean, I think Luke has a great point. Yeah. 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 Okay, thank you. Okay, at some point, are applications deemed incomplete and or abandoned? So if an applicant, if an application is just, is sitting around, um, does, does it get cleaned up? So, or if an applicant's been asked to go get more information and months or years go by without additional information, is that application taken out of the system or does it sit there? All right, next question. Does the city have a subject matter expert for interpretation and application of all technical topics? So we could add checkboxes in here for technical topics, or we could um, ask, ask staff just to provide comments. For my edification, what do you mean by technical topic? Technical is is like um, something like wireless communication facilities or uh, meets requirements for affordable housing, um, someplace where there are probably external rules and regulations where um, we're, we need someone who understands the what next part of it. Um, and so it would be something that not like, hey, I'm approving a use out of the use table. That's fairly straightforward. But, um, you know, 
am I going to need a geotech report on this project, which is going to fall off the side of a hill? I think one example would be um, the levy. You know, how will this project impact the levy or our core levy situation? Thank you. Okay, so this one we're working on right now is do the code requirements or gaps make processing longer or more difficult than it should be? This is for staff. So they're working with that code pretty constantly. All right, let's go on to the next one. How involved are applicants in the review process? So to staff. They're always involved, sometimes, often, sometimes, rarely, or never. Seems like a weird question if they're usually involved, but we have worked in communities where applicants drop off their application and say, see you at the end. All right, next question. Should applicants be more involved? So for staff still, and we'll do um, we'll do comment box on this one. Follow up question on that: Should they be more involved at specific junctures? Um, so this is this is getting at um, a question. It's a timing question. So are are applications? languishing because the applicants aren't advocating for them? Um, what What is going on kind of in the black box of the review process? So go to the next question. How involved are applicants in problem solving for their applications? Most applicants proactively problem solve. Different applicants act differently. Most applicants rely on staff to problem solve. All right, next question. Does staff receive requests from uh, planning commission or city commissioner member, city commission members about specific applications? Always, often, sometimes, rarely, never. All right, we'll move on to the next one. Is plan 24, Gabby, do you know, I think we might be in the all questions here. I think we might've moved into, these are questions for everybody. So whether you're uh, a developer or staff, is plan 2040 implementation a noticeable aspect of application review? Always, often, sometimes, really never. All right, let's move on. Was someone going to say something? Nope, you're good. Okay. Do the current zoning and land use processes favor either the applicant or the city? The applicant, the city, or neither? 
Okay, next slide. Do the current subdivision processes favor, favor either the applicant or the city? All right, next slide. Is there a clear link between land development code requirements and land development code processes? I think we'll add an NA to this one. Always, often, sometimes, really, never. I don't know. All right, let's go to the next one. If no, can you provide examples of ORFIN requirements that are hard to resolve? So we're looking for specific comments on that one. Let's go to the next question. <laughs> if you're applying, are specific application process steps understandable? Always, often, sometimes, rarely, never. All right, next slide. Our specific application, so I'm applying for a variance. I think I might put a parenthetical in here talking about what's a specific application. Are the decision-making criteria clear? Always, often, sometimes, rarely, never. So when you have a um, decision being made administratively, being made planning commission or city commission, do you know, either if you're a decision-maker or an applicant, what they're weighing it against? Elizabeth, somebody has their hand in front of you or you've got your cursor on for your face. <laughs> Did that get rid of it? Kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Next question. Are any application processes redundant, vague, or unclear? You were asking for... Um, just general feedback on this. We might move this one back up into the developer section. No, this is in all, so everyone can get it. Sorry, thinking out loud. Gabby, let's go to the next question. Do any application processes seem unnecessary or overused? So we're asking developers and staff this question. Next question. Hey, Elizabeth, I, yeah. I wonder in some, of, in some of these questions where you're asking, um, you know, does any of this seem unclear if a follow on option should be, um, do you want to name one or three? Okay. So you can get, get something specific there. Because I, I, As I look at those responses, I see a lot of in the middle of the road kind of answers. Mm -hmm. And it'd be super interesting to, to pull out what the specific things are. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right, open-ended question. Do you have any, any experience with an application process from another jurisdiction that might be useful in Lawrence? So just curious about something anyone else has seen that they might wanna share with us that they thought worked well. I think this one's just open for comment. Next question. Question is, do you understand how the city decision makers use comments submitted at a public hearing? 
So we're trying to understand the importance of um, of the public hearing process and how it impacts um, decisions. I mean, so that's yeah. That's that's a yes or no question, and you've got a comment box. I think it's more than a yes or no question. We can set it up as yes, no comments. Well, I, 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 I understand. <laughs> Should be yes or no. I mean, do you understand how the decision makers use the comments? Yes or no? You know, so now you can ask the question differently or you can make it yes or no, check the box, but you kind of need to decide. Because I'm not sure what you're yeah. asking there. I think because I because what I hear Phil saying, I don't think is where we meant to go with the question. Um we um I think where we want to go with this question is get people's perceptions of the importance of comments at a public hearing. So I think we probably want to rephrase this one because I, I agree with you, it looks like a yes, no, but that doesn't give us a ton of information. Let me let me um, let me pull this one back and rework it a little bit. It might be. Do you think um, comments submitted at a public hearing are important? Yes, no. Do you think they're overly important? Yes, no. Do you think that the decision makers don't pay enough attention to them? Yes, no. Perspective is if if the city staff is presenting the information to decision makers, like the commissioners. Usually they describe what they're looking for for a decision. So it seems like that as clear as a decision can be presented, then it gives decision makers an easier way to make a decision. But that question is odd, the way it's written. Yeah, so this question is maybe a little bit to get at the impact of people who um, are protesting the application, the impact of people who are supporting the application, um, how does that play out in the process? And then so maybe yeah, you think public comment is weighed fairly or unfairly or over yeah, like what yeah. you were getting at with. How much is public comment part of the decision making process? Seems to be what you're asking, yeah, Elizabeth. Is so. that right? Yep. Yep. Which I think is a very good question to ask. Okay, so we'll revise this one. But, yeah. If we'll revise this one to go more down that road, is it weighed fairly or unfairly? Okay, let's go on to the next one. Okay, and so here, here we go into more specifics. So this would help that resetting that first question might help this one. Do any of the following groups seem to have too much influence over development decisions? Neighborhood groups, the university, individual residents, environmental groups, city boards, other. What do you think about asking this question um, for three different groups. Do the following groups seem to have too much influence over 
the planning commission decisions, the city commission decisions, okay. the staff. Okay. And what is too much influence mean? Yeah. <laughs> Should we say significant influence? Yeah, I think I okay. So wait, let me let me grab um uh, Chairman Finkeldy's question. PC, CC staff. Okay, and then so we phrased it as too much influence because that's pretty it's a pretty casual way to say it. I seem to have a lot of influence over development decisions. Would that seem better? We're I don't want to be super precise with it. Um, and I don't want to put people off the question. Well, I suspect if you're in the neighborhood and you're answering that question, you're gonna say you don't have enough. Um, and you could that, that same scenario would exist almost any place the question is being answered from. Mm -hmm. So I just, without understanding the source, maybe you will, maybe you'll have that telemetry, you'll understand the source so you can you can know what that information means. But I, I, I think I think a lot is better than too much. Okay. Okay, let's do the next question. Which of the following options do you think would help make the development decision process more inclusive? So this is we're getting to equity here. How do we how do we include the community? So holding public hearings at different times or in different locations, allowing some applications to be approved without a public hearing collecting public input about a proposal and reporting it during the hearing. But Elizabeth, your definition of inclusive is include the community. Yeah. Not and spe specifically include those voices of the community that haven't historically been included. And FYI, sorry, I just want to point out this, these next few, few questions are not set up properly in this um, system, in this survey system. So just read the, just give us your feedback about the actual content of them, kind of ignore what it's showing on the screen. Okay. People who are not usually involved, I don't know if that gives us enough. So we're looking to get a, a broad selection of the community involved. I think you want to be specific, more inclusive of, you know, how we say it in, in the equity portion, underrepresented populations. Okay. Yeah, I think you need to expand inclusive to okay. say exactly what you're looking for. Okay. I really like the, or at least I think I like the second question or comment about, you know, do you, do you think it would be more inclusive or less inclusive to allow some applications to be approved without a public hearing? I feel like anybody with a very limited understanding of zoning and land use would be like, why would that be more inclusive? That doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. But since some yeah. people have a very outsized, uh, I guess, ability to participate, it, it it often tends that a small group of people with a lot of time on their hands and a lot of anger about one certain thing <laughs> get a really big voice when a lot of people who kind of don't care don't really get that voice at all. So by not having a public hearing, you actually almost make it more inclusive by drowning out that one voice that really cares and letting the thousand other that you know so i think it's a good question yeah it's, yeah i'll be very curious to see how it's interpreted because that's how i interpret it but i don't know if everybody will yeah 
a democratic process participation. I, I, yeah, I mean, Nick, you got a very sophisticated view of it, which is accurate, but I'm not so sure a lot of the public is. But it'd be interesting to find out. Yeah. Hold on, I'm making a note about potentially just putting an explainer in there about why that's equitable. Okay. Gabby, next one. And this is the last one. And also, again, this is not set up properly to be a multiple choice question. So just okay. ignore that. Just look All at right. the words. <laughs> Sorry. Which, of, which of the following options do you think would help make the development decision process more inclusive? Holding community education meetings about the development decision process, providing more information about projects by email or city website, holding, oh, nice typos, holding a decision-making meeting in the neighborhood where the application is located. And I think we want to set this one up when we redo it as, as many as you like. I do want to use the close of the um, survey to let everybody know um, that Brody, you may remember Brody Smith, who worked with us, has left Clarion to uh, pursue his Olympic dream. Um, and so those are Brody's typos. I'm going to hunt him down and tell him he may be <laughs> training, but oh, I can oh. still find him. He okay, has moved to Eugene, Oregon. He's a steeplechase runner and um, wow. He needs to beat out about nine other runners to make the team. So that is what he's doing now. Wow. Jeez. Brody's last name. Smith. <laughs> Brody Smith. Yeah, I'll share his Instagram with um, <laughs> Becky, Jeff, and Luke in case anyone wants to follow wow. him. Best of luck, Brody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So, Gabby, that's it. You want to pull it down and we can talk about what we saw and what you guys are thinking. So it's a little in the in the way that we do so many zoning things, it's not directly on point. We didn't put, hey, here's the code section. What do you think about it? We tried to draw it from people's real life experience. Um, and then we back that up into does it become code language? Does it become um, a city process? It sounds like I've got a handful of questions to expand out. I've got a handful of questions to clarify. Did we miss anything that in in your opinion we should be asking of the development community or staff? Was there a question about consistency between staff members? Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was. Yeah. There was the one that was seemed to be in the staff questions but wasn't in the developer questions which would be interesting to see the different views on that uh, the one i'm trying to remember was um would you have to get do you have enough information to yeah. answer this or not yeah. which did seem like that would be a good for developer you know do you feel like every time you're asked to clarify something you have to buy another study yeah. or you know uh create there's another cost created i think that's a great question because you know that's been for affordable housing especially and i know we're our own little niche but that's usually the issue is we try to avoid some of that stuff to not have that cost and you know they add up without um 
naming a staff position, there appears to me in a couple of situations that I'm aware of that outside of the planning department, some city staff have outsized influence over some certain decisions on projects. And I know that some projects have been killed because of like the fire department, I'm just going to say it, you know, because they have perceived an issue for getting fire trucks in or out. And that may not be in the code. Usually it's not land development code, it's in the building codes typically. Yeah. And, but it's killed too. Project. And, and it's still interpretation. It's still interpretation. Yeah, that question about where is there a clear process when there's a different interpretations, I think should also be asked to the development community. Because I think both sides aren't sure where to go with that. We can ask a question about that outside of PDS um, question. You know, have in in your experience, have you seen projects, otherwise viable projects, shut down? Um, I I will stop drafting on the fly here, but I I think it's interesting to get at that. Um, because it goes back to our question of why does this take so long and why do we end up, you know, with this answer at the end? So, and we're spending a lot of time making options available to people, but sometimes I'm not sure that those people that have influence are at the table right now. You know, understanding that we're trying to make um, developments more community friendly or whatever and there may be certain groups considering life safety issues or whatever that they believe trumps everything or infrastructure type or issues. Yeah. yeah and i i don't know how to best say that but but if you're trying to make uh, a more open community development then there needs to be some additional considerations and that one group maybe needs to at least be brought in as to why we're trying to, what we're trying to do. I think that, um, I think I hear you being really respectful of the idea of the, the project that we're in and we don't have as much influence over, you know, different codes in different um, departments, but, we can take information from the survey and pass it up with our draft to planning commission and city commission for discussion. So we can expand out, you know, to a question about the influence um, or authority outside of um, planning over projects and see what feedback we get on that, if that's okay with the group. I'd appreciate that. Good idea. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about how we think this is going to work. We're going to revise the questions and um, 
attempt to get this survey up at the beginning of the week um, and only leave it open for about a week. We don't want it sitting out there uh, for a while. We know we have targeted audiences for it. We will email a link to everyone on steering committee and ask if there's anyone you want to invite to participate to forward the link to them. It will be on the project website. Anyone will be able to respond to it. We're making it open for the community, but we we want to really target responses from the development community um, and from city staff. Does that sound okay to everybody? And then we'll summarize responses and share it back with you before the next meeting. Um, so you can see it before we go in to discuss the draft um, development, uh, the, the draft administrative procedure. So you can have it together. We can talk about how the draft works and then we can focus our conversation on things within the draft um, that we think we wanna fix um, to maybe address some of the issues that came out through the survey. We have um, city staff members not in planning who do development review. Will they be able to take this? Yeah, I think I think we want to ask it um, staff wide. Anyone that works within anything that works within any anyone that works with anything that touches the code, right? So we want to we want to draw a big circle around that. So, Luke, are you thinking MSO is exactly mm -hmm. good? Okay, so we got we've got that going. Um, our goal with that is to use the March meeting as our as our biggest meeting on procedures, and then move in to the full draft in April. Um, so we want to do a pretty targeted meeting. We don't want to do line by line review with you guys on um, procedures. And so when we send you out the draft, it will have. The updated procedures, but it will also have this information embedded in the draft to um, tell you where to focus and what we're reviewing. If you want to read all of it, we will not get in your way, and it will be posted on Conveyo for comments, um, but we think that we could spend your time doing some high-level issues on processing, um, and then we can get back into getting a code out for the community to start reviewing. So, I think that was that was kind of where we wanted to go in terms of content tonight. The other thing we're going to share with you is we have some responses um, from the October and November outreach materials. We also turned that into an online survey. We'll share the responses out with you. It's really not a lot earth shattering in there. We'd already talked about what we were hearing from the community. The next thing we want to kind of go into on our agenda for this evening um, is um, just talking about how as we move into the full draft, um, we're going to try to start upping um, to the extent we can um, community education and community input. We're hoping that by the time we put the full draft out there, anyone who was waiting on the sidelines thinking they're not going to do this might see that we may actually do this. Um, and so we're anticipating that's in April. And um, so if everyone could start talking up the code and its awesomeness um, and all the work you've put into it, that would be great. So that was it for formal presentation. Everyone's got the invites, um, I believe that Luke sent out and that Becky sent out with all the next invitation, with all the next meetings in it. 
I wanted to back up um, and see if there was anything bubbling in your head over our break since our last meeting in December that you wanted to come back to. Um, if our chairman had anything um, that he wants to say about our work looking forward, or if we should uh, break early and enjoy what is hopefully a nice afternoon. Is it sunny and nice there? Mm, nice. No, it's nice it has been. I think we have a few comments. Um, I did want to ask though, um, April, bring back the full, what do you, what do you see that? Do you see us? I know we've scheduled in May and in June. Given your current pace, what do you think about planning commission and city commission? When do you think we'll be at that point? I think you guys are going to need to give us a thumbs up, and I'm hoping that's the um, May meeting, but it may be the June meeting. So what we're going to do um, as we go into April, May, and June is come back to you with our um, top line issues. So places where we've got multiple comments in the draft from it being online, places where we think we haven't resolved a problem. Um, we're going to ask for your brainstorming and problem solving um, so that we can get in and rewrite the draft. We also um, will be having some more meetings with MSO, with um, the other departments, um, trying to make sure that we've got their information current and up to date and we have everything ready to go when we start going public. So I th think we could do this two ways. Um, we could continue talking until we are at a good place as a group. We won't be 100% on board with everything, but we could be generally on board with stuff and then start the scheduling process. We could ask um, Becky, Jeff, and Luke to back out a scheduling process for us, and then we know when our deadline is. I don't know which is the group's preference. Well, I can tell you my preference, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my preference would be if we have April, you know, we, you know, in May, I mean, if we meet in early May, we could be either on the May planning commission and then we could meet again in June after the May Planning Commission. And then we could be ready to, you know, move it forward or not after we meet in June to a city commission in either June or July. Can we get on the May Planning Commission? Let's see why not. Hey, Brad, to that, uh, as it comes to the Planning Commission, one thing yeah. I suggest is because of the volume of this, um, that we allow for a, a mid-month study session um, to review and get the commissioners acclimated to all the volume of information here. Yeah. So maybe a May mid-month and then the May planning commission? In whatever month it happens, I'd like to see us uh, allow the commission that, that month's mid-month um, to uh, have a review. If it's ready in May, that's fine with me. In case have two mid months available for that one, just if possible. So, so you're thinking of uh, May discussing the entire, or having a, I guess, what are the actions in May at the planning commission? Is that to receive comments on the code? Is it to just receive the code? Is it to, to make recommendations to us, to the city? Okay. So, I mean, you're looking at 
500 pages of code, planning commission, receive comments, and then make a recommendation. You think you can do that in one month? I've been following along throughout the process quite well, so I think that might be a possibility, but I wouldn't want to speak for all the commissioners. Sure. But I, also, I mean, um, I know from the city commission level, we want to move this thing along. Okay. We don't want to, I mean, no offense, Gary, sets, you know, stuck at the planning commission for several months while you guys talk about it. <laughs> we want to move it. No, no offense taken, which is why I'm asked, I'm recommending that we get started on as early as we can. <clears throat> so maybe even the April mid month, the May mid month, and then May have it up as an action item. That would not be too much. Okay. And then we'll have April, May, and June for this committee. And at some point, I mean, after, you know, after the May planning commission and our June meeting, if we think it's not ready, we'll, you know, reassess. If we think it's ready, we'll push it towards the city commission. Okay, Brad, procedure B, if you have a recommendation from the planning commission and you bring it back here, and this group recommends changes. Does it have to go back to the planning commission before the city commission? Well, the adoption of the title code, I guess I could ask Tony or Randy. I mean, we're, I don't even know we technically have to have a planning commission approval or approval the recommendation. I mean, it's once they do that, it kind of knocks the steering committee out of the process. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I, I mean. My opinion, I see what your question is. My thought was exactly what I said that. We get the planning commission input, but then we bring it back here before we took it to the city commission. Your question is, if we did that, are we messing up the process? And my thought was no, but I'm looking at Jeff or others to think about that. Honor that one a bit. Um, typically, once it goes to planning commission, it goes up to city commission there. If it was a normal text, it's not out right to the city after planning. Yeah. That would be if there was a substantial change here and went to planning commission saw it, there was a substantial change, and then would you want planning commission to weigh in on that change before it proceeded to the city commission? That would be the only concern I could say. I guess, yeah, that's what you have to have the public notice and public input process again on the final. Well, I was going to say, in a legislative action like this, the only reason you have to have the planning commission at all, if it's a text amendment, is because our code says text amendment goes to the planning commission. Is this a text amendment or is this an adoption of a new code? You know, that I mean, let's do a little bit of research, research on that. Good. I, <laughs> I, I can see the difference there because you're not amending 20 as it stands, you're just taking yeah. 20 and pulling one out, putting the new one in. That may be a little bit of a different process than what we normally would just have internally in our memory here. Let's chase that and get an answer. Yeah. And again, it's not like a Typical text amendment. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is so. Rob, did you comment? I think when you're adopting the code, you've got to look at the state law on that. I think it adds to what your local code has on that. Whether or not you have to go back and get a planning commission has to see the final document before you get it. Okay. Especially if you send it somewhere else. But anyway, I don't know the answer, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the state law. The planning statute has something on that. Okay, we'll take a look. Thanks, Rob. 
Okay. We now we'll move into bigger topics. Nick had something. Yeah, if you're ready. I, I have a couple things of uh, varying relevance, I guess. So the first one is for the survey. So it's set up with the current paradigm of like people who develop stuff for a living versus city staff and planners. But that's mostly because there's not really that kind of public low level people who just develop their own property because they can, because right now they kind of can't. So there's a um, strong towns refers to it as like releasing the, the horde of small scale developers who people who could add a unit or an ADU or subdivide their thing or add a store or something. Those people have never had to deal with a code before. And all of a sudden they have the opportunity to do something that would require them to, to deal with the code. So I don't know how to answer that right now, only that you may be getting answers from people who are very familiar with codes, but there may need to be some kind of continuing feedback collection to make sure that it works for not just people who know the stuff inside and out, but people who have never heard of a zoning code before. Um, so, I mean, not much you guys can do necessarily, but I think just maybe for planning and development going forward, it's going to be a lot of new users all of a sudden. We've done that, Nick, in other places, um, asking more theoretical questions about people. Would you, you know, if you could, would you do an ADU? And what's your time frame for that? And do you have any clue what you'd have to do to get there? So we, we could put some basic um, questions in there about people's, um, interests or their anticipated future and see if that, um, at least anticipated future around development on their particular property, see if that helps us to, to address the, the one and done users that, you know, for them, this would be just an entirely foreign language. That would be really interesting, at least from my perspective. I don't know if anybody else wants to see this, but. Well, I just pile onto that. I, you know, getting getting some answers to that question would be interesting to see what they say, but if we already know that the potential is there, and in fact, we're inviting um, the potential for that kind of uh, small-scale development to occur, maybe what we should do is, is assume that there will be a mass of that and do something to enable and encourage it, build that into our process, build that into our staffing to enable it to happen. Yeah, okay. I think that's a great point. Um, all right. So another question that uh, relates more to process stuff, which is what you're working on right now. So maybe mm -hmm. this is timely. So um, some of the discussions that, that we've had on the Multimodal Transportation Commission is that oftentimes things go to the planning commission that are very transportation related, and, and we never see them until they're already approved or denied. And though we are not a quasi-judicial body and technically don't have any power at all, it, it may not be a bad idea to involve subject matter experts such as sustainability or affordable housing or transportation, for example, on planning matters that very clearly involve their subject matter. Like a touch point almost. I don't really know how else to describe it, but stuff where like, it would be good to know at least so that maybe we could craft a response and just send it to the planning commission rather than actually delaying the proceedings, just kind of adding that input. I think that's a, I think that's an interesting point. My initial response would be that to the extent possible, that information should be baked into the code, because if we're adding on to individual site specific projects, we're 
probably extending timeframes. And anytime we're doing it by committee, we have the opportunity for the committee to get hung up and then the project to get hung up. So is it that we wanna make sure that we have those groups in this draft code as soon as possible if they haven't been already? Um, is it that we wanna do more back and forth with um, staff in those groups? I, I really hesitate to insert anyone else in an approval process simply because it, it adds more voices and that is definitely not streamlining. I guess I should probably clarify it. I'm not necessarily saying that, all right, say, take for example, there is a proposed, and it might be approved by now, I don't follow this very well anymore, a proposed development at 19th in Massachusetts, which outside of downtown is one of the only maybe kind of walkable areas, and it's going to be for a drive-through coffee shop, which seems to be pretty inconsistent with what maybe could happen in the area, um, depending on your perspective, of course. I mean, if you if you live your life in your car, that sounds great, but if you're looking to live in that neighborhood, it doesn't sound so great. So I feel like that's one of those things where at least posing the idea to the MMTC would have really helped us just alert to the fact that this is going to happen in a place where we had not planned on drive-thrus being a thing. And I don't think it's even really, you have to ask them yes or no. You just would have to inform them like, okay, does this thing include transportation? Well, the flowchart says yes. So at least just have somebody do a staff update at the, MM, at the MMTC meeting and then they can choose whether to craft a response or not or even just individual members can just you know testify individually i don't think it should slow down the main process at all that's not what i want to do but i do think it would be good to at least alert or offer the opportunity for input that they can then just feed back into the process and say like hey did you consider this all right because planning commissioners have a lot to deal with and very long meetings with very complicated proposals and it's unreasonable to ask them to be experts in every uh, facet of it so you know this is really um i had experience with this in wichita we had an internal i was a director of environmental services with wichita we had an internal process that if there was a uh, for the planning group if there was a sewer issue or a whatever project that had to do with sewer that would internally come to our department to look at mm -hmm. it wasn't a checkoff outside of the process but it was a checkoff inside and our group had to make the decision whether we recommended it or not i mean if we did we've said we recommended it. if we didn't we would say that and that would be part of the package that was delivered in the public hearing so it's an internal mechanism and it seems to me that that would be really good for the sustainability advisory board too because a lot of times we end up not even knowing about a project until later yeah i mean it could even be not even a strong recommendation like this is a hard yes or hard no maybe just like have you considered that yeah, like have you considered that plan 2040 says that we're trying to get less car dependent are you sure this is the right thing right and then we'll let you be the judge but just you know something to consider more niche perspectives, I guess you could say. So, so am I hearing that we have we a dis disconnect between what city staff in their area recommends? So the, the MMTC might recommend something differently than a transportation planner would? Probably. So 
I think since there's uh, citizen boards versus staff, yeah. they answer to different they answer to different people, and right. um, that makes things difficult. So staff may have to answer to the codes that either they or their predecessor put into place, whereas the boards or commissions may have a bit of a a broader and longer view because they're not answerable to the same bosses. And I think like, okay, well, that's the code now, but what was the rationale for that code to exist in the first place? Is this maybe the time to rethink that? Doesn't that make the code less predictable for developers? I guess I'm, so I'm speaking a very specific context here, which is engineering standards. So engineering standards are put into place by MSO and they're, they're kind of just like self-enforced. It's, I don't think it's even an ordinance. It's just like standards that you follow because you said you had to follow it. And because of that, there is an opportunity to revise them every once in a while to maybe get with the times or follow plan 2040 more closely. Like for example, street width, right? So if somebody wanted to come in here and do like some kind of fancy new urbanist development where all the streets were gonna be just 20 feet wide with on-street parking or something. And if that went against the right-of-way minimum width requirements in the engineering standards, technically by the rote rule, that would not be allowed. But realistically, that's exactly what Plan 2040 is trying to get going on. So when there is a conflict between the comp plan and the standards that we've imposed on ourselves, that's where I think the opportunity for friction exists and where a board could weigh in and say, I, you know, here, here's where the friction is. And we would recommend that you go this way. I don't know. It's a lot of things are in flux right now, right? I mean, because Plan 2040 exists and the code as it is can't easily... Uh, achieve the goals, right? So I think there's going to have to be some updating of various other codes that are tangential to the LDC to get us where we maybe want to be. It kind of reminds me of uh, do our other do other communities, Elizabeth, have? I, I mean, I know we can go to commission if kind of an arbitration policy if there's different interpretations from different advisory boards or different. Um, you know, groups uh, is there, and I guess we can always go to commission, can't we? Uh, at least for certain like historic, historic resources we can, right? But yeah, is there maybe a an over, again, you don't want process to go longer, but when the community is at odds, there needs to be some way that we resolve interpretation. Seems like most places have a grievance policy, you know, some formal process when we're, when we're not agreeing completely. Things can come to us. I could. Yeah. But if it's a zoning deal, then that doesn't get to you. Yeah. BZA, that's yeah. that's so. maybe where we can't, huh? Um, but you're talking in, in particular about engineering standards, which is a little beyond the scope here, but something we need to look at eventually. Or even flexibility of that. Yeah. Or not. But I mean, if, you use, if you use the example of trying to get solar roof on the rooftops, you know, if you use that example and say the Sustainability Advisory Board would like to weigh in on that, um, we didn't really come to any decision here about how we would do that. But I'm sure that the Sustainability Advisory Board would like to have something to say about that at, at some point. But is it is it fair that for any board to come in and comment on one particular project by the time it shows up down here for submittal and review and approval. If it's not following the already established. Um, but assuming it is. 
but I've got an example that it didn't, which they didn't put an electric um, okay. furnace in the transit facility. They used natural gas, which we said, well, you're not following your own, um, you know, policy. It was a actual uh, ordinance. Okay. I didn't come one word. <laughs> but I think that gets back to Nick's comment about just having that included as part of the the notice requirements. Right. When you make a public notice, your notice goes to whatever relevant right. and they can opt to, to exactly. comment or not. And but adding an additional approval process, I think just complicates things it, more it than- It would be better if it's in the front end because it, we could make some noise on the front end, but after it's already done, it's like yeah. too late. Well, so that's one of the things, um, one of the things that, that we're working through with a lot of communities, I, I think case point is the earlier the better uh, because money's been spent on design. When we get down the road, when we get to, okay, this is in front of planning commission now, you know, if we're going to come in and say the roads could be narrower, that's a really expensive redesign. Um, so I, I think the, let me let me share with you the questions I've captured out of this conversation that we want to kind of wrestle down is um, what is what is the process for boards um, to weigh in on their topic across applications, but also just across the code? Um, should they be formally notified and allowed to comment? Um, is, is there a trigger in an application? Um, that gets it sent out to a specific board. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to stand on my comment that the you know the time to have this conversation is now in the land development code. We'd rather get it wrapped into the code itself rather than do it on a case by case process because a we want to the code to be as predictable as possible. So we want applicants to know what they have to comply with. Um, and and B, um, you know, I, I hesitate to set up uh, not a conflict, but a disagreement between a board and a staff group about a specific application at that application's hearing. That seems, um, needlessly complex um, and it also seems like it could get fairly subjective i like these standards you like those standards let's just have a standoff about standards so if i might um from a also mm -hmm. from a corporate standpoint i've been involved with big companies and when you do this um with the trigger points of, is it a big capital expenditure? Yeah. You have these reviews, not for little bitty things, but you have these reviews internally for those projects that have a big impact. And so usually in a big corporation, it, it's just, it, is it over you know $10 million or is it over $2 million or whatever? And does it affect air, water, waste, or whatever? From an environmental standpoint, that's what you look at. Does it have to have a permit? And those things get taken care of up front. Then you don't build a paint booth without a permit or or something like that. You know, I mean, down the line, you don't, you don't 
find out that you've done something um, that you shouldn't have done. And, and it's the same way internally for a municipality. You do all of that stuff up front and hopefully the organization that's responsible for it already knows those rules and regulations, but sometimes the subject matter experts help you remember that there's this sort of thing that you should look at and sometimes staff doesn't. And that's just, you know, you can put your trigger points internally, um, but I do think it should be done right now. You should talk about it right now. So let me back up and ask, does the city city has a number of standing boards what what policy do we have right now about involving those boards in processes it's my case or not we don't have a specific policy okay. we're about to change the number of boards we have and what the policies are so it'd be a time to think about that yeah because we're about to do that so elizabeth okay. i heard yeah so I, I understand your justification about wanting to do as much as we can in the upfront process to avoid having to have those touch points and potential conflicts between, I guess, different interpretations. And I can totally understand that from the context of this exact process. But I think I, I, I hopefully made it clear early on in this steering committee process that that trying to get to the ideals of Plan 2040, like this new urbanist progressive utopia that we're eventually going to get to, right? is not gonna be accomplished merely by changing the LDC. It's gonna be accomplished by a combination of that and the building code and the street design standards and the sustainability code and the transportation, like all this stuff relates to planning. I mean, the places that we live are made up of yes, properties, but also roads and the energy that connects us all and the environment that we live in. So since your scope is limited to LDC, I can understand why you would want to do everything in your power to make it set such that we avoid this conflict in the future. But unfortunately, since your scope does not include the engineering design standards or transportation 2050, it's going to be pretty hard to bring those up to the same standard that you're bringing LDC up to. So I think because of that, we are inevitably going to have conflicts when not often updated documents by departments that don't share the same goals necessarily are going to come into conflict when we eventually have to have the conversation of like, a drive-thru is technically allowed here, but does it make any sense with regard to what we were trying to do here, right? Um, so that's that's kind of why I'm asking too. It's I guess in planning speak, consider this as a planned development unit, right? You don't want to have a lot of these if at all possible. You want to engineer them out at the front end. But for stuff that we can't foresee and the conflicts that we don't know and the new innovations that are going to happen that you know are un unpredictable, you still need that kind of touch point to allow for the variations to happen when they make sense. Okay, just give me a second. I'm thinking this one through. So I agree with you that we in the LDC can't impact all of those um, various design standards um, and specifications that are out there. I My concern um, is that we're we're using the land development code as a way to impact those when the impact should be direct on those specs. So it's an end run on things that other departments are doing that have to funnel through this process. I'm so, worried that we're setting up unnecessary conflict. In a, saying, in a, saying, a, saying that yeah, another way, saying that another way, I mean, uh, maybe I should know this, I don't. What, 
do, do we does the city commission adopt the engineering standard codes and no. when, when was the last time we did it and if we wanted to change it what would be the process they're internally adopted and they're they're uh, reviewed by mso every year or two every quarter they're, they're constantly changed yeah you know like when those things come up we don't planning and development services doesn't really have a role in that one we don't look at the development code and comment on the engineering specs for the streets and we don't get into the details you know same as you know when city brings a site plan up we don't get into the internal mechanics of the building because we might not know that at the site planning level because that's typically also handled yeah, i'm not yeah, i'm not saying it's part of what you do yeah i mean i think i think what elizabeth is saying is why are we messing around trying to get comments from the planning when if, if what we what you're really asking is we should have a conversation about the engineering design standards and yeah. how they relate to yeah and i don't know how else we're going to start that conversation well just, just <laughs> did. yeah just did okay well, i'll start that conversation okay <laughs> i mean i'll don't be interested in that that's i mean yeah, conversation I mean, transportation and planning are intrinsically linked and we can do all we want about the stuff outside the roads but until we fix the stuff inside the roads as well it's only going to be so good basically yeah i think it's yeah i agree with elizabeth let's tackle it head on let's let's not put it in a i'm saying i'm, I'm Writing this down right now. You might want to have the building code as well. I know the building. I mean, we do approve the building code, and we're working the building code, the electrical code, and building MEP, fire, property maintenance would all be coming sometime this year for adoption and consideration very soon. Yeah, and so I knew those will come, and I just didn't know about. Yeah, I think major thoroughfares thoroughfares map is also directly tied to land development code, so that's probably going to have to be at least considered. No, no, we also adopt that. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah the engineering standards. That's why I, I couldn't remember ever having to do anything with that. So that's why that's a little different one than some of the others. But I do, I mean, the other point of this is when the building code comes up later this year and the electrical code and some of that, hopefully you guys are weighing in and yeah. how this overlaps. Is fire code something that's adopted, or we just blanket adopt whatever NFPA puts out? That goes with the building code. Okay. International fire, international building codes, and residential all go at the same time typically. Okay. It's all coming. Because I think fire has to do with streets too, which is interesting. Like they both have like egress points of structures and fire ratings, but they also deal with street widths and turn radius. Turn radius. <laughs> turn radius. Street trees. Yeah. They have some interesting consequences. Okay. Let's do that then. Getting that cut that one down. Um okay, any other big comments? Keep Elizabeth's list going here. I got pages of list. Yeah. Okay, well, we're gonna add one to it, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things I'll try to be brief. Um I, I find Nick Kuzmiak's ideas. With, with quite a bit of merit, I think, but, you know, how much the Multimodal Transportation Commission might weigh in on planning issues seems like, you know, there is a threshold there, and I don't know what would trigger that threshold that would involve. Yeah. But to my way of thinking, at the very least, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be project by project, which sometimes would get down to the micro level, but it seems like at very minimum, the Multimodal Transportation Commission could review 
preliminary plats and preliminary development plans, more at the macro level, you know, the larger view, the larger area. Beyond that, I I can't say, but that was how I would see it, at least part play out. The other thing I want to- Michael, I, I hate to interrupt. I got a question for you. Who, who's the staff person assigned to the multimodal the city engineer. The city engineer. Okay. And he looks at some of the micro yeah, things. No, you know, I'm just curious. I want to go here. So, okay. and, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that could be covered, but depend on what kind of project. And mm -hmm. I think that that tipping point, that threshold might be development plans and plans. So, um, so yeah, the other thing that I was thinking of was. I was very interested in this whole survey of the effectiveness of the review process and decision-making process that uh, you discussed. And I look forward to how the final survey turns out. But whether y'all want to acknowledge or not, in my understanding from what I see, there's a fair amount of critique out there or how the development code process works or doesn't work for the general public, for the neighborhoods, for the joining property owners, which oftentimes takes up a lot of time because it's at the end of the process when those people necessarily might not have been uh, notified or go to the website all the time. And, and so it comes down to the city commission or the county and all of a sudden they realize, oh my gosh, what's this all about? Whereas I, my question is, is Elizabeth gonna, are you going to come up with a similar survey of how well or how poorly the development review process is viewed by the citizenry? Another survey, because you know, there are people out there that have a very different view. You know, like the question, um, something about, I can't remember what the question was. Did it, was there too much influence from something or other? My, the question that came to my mind was, was there too little? And people in the public might be asking that reverse question. So I'm just curious how much you might seek out that kind of information. So... Michael, we're planning on posting it on the project website so that anyone um, can participate. I just listening to what you're asking, we might direct people to skip straight to the questions that are applicable to everybody, which is where those influence questions are. And we can certainly add in a question about, you know, do you think the city needs more input from any of these particular groups? Yeah, is this going to be one survey or going to be like three surveys that you pick which one you want to do? Yeah, I think we have it set up as two right now. And, um, you know, based on this conversation, we may split it out to three. So I'm a, I am a developer, or I do development or I could do development. I am a city staff member and I am a member of the community um, that's interested in the process. So we may yeah. build up that all one just a little bit more and put it out there. So I think that'd be good. Okay. Thank you. Okay. This is little, but is there a way to 
tack on how much time you should budget to take the survey? Yep, that's a good question. What do we think? Give everyone, tell them it should take about three or four hours with deep thought. <laughs> you better go read the code. Yeah. Well, if you got to look up code references. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Anything else you need from us today, Elizabeth? No, this was super helpful. I know this was a little different than what we normally do, and I really appreciate everyone um, digging in and providing comment. We'll return oh. to the regular read some code at our next meeting, just in case you're missing it. Well, we'll be excited for module three. Yeah. Thanks, okay. everyone. Thank you. Take care. See you all. Thanks.